Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another Bible study session. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for another time to worship you and to learn from your word as a community, as a tribe, as your disciples. We ask that you open the eyes of our hearts today to hear what you are saying to us at this moment. Father, open the eyes of our faith to see that which is eternal so that we may move with a conviction that does not hold on to unbelief, even in the face of impossibilities, but that our faith becomes empowered. Mm but that our faith becomes empowered by your word and that our faith grows in confidence that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Mm. And that our faith is strengthened by the finished work of the cross and in knowing that he who started this work in us is faithful to complete it until the day he returns. Holy Spirit, I ask that you give me the tongues of the ready writer and you speak through me today, not my words, but yours. Oh God, my Father, be with my mouth and teach me what to say every time I speak. My Father, give me a mouth of skillful words and wisdom. As I open my mouth to teach, fill it with what I need to do your will for your people. I declare that I become lesser and lesser and Christ becomes greater and greater in me in the in this moment and even forevermore. Lord, we thank you. We, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We adore you. Thank you, Lord, for carrying us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. God, you are so good. God, you are kind. God, you are wonderful. Our God, you are excellent. God, you are so good. God, you are kind. Our God, you are wonderful, my God, you are excellent. There is none like you. There is none like you. No one else can touch our hearts like you do. We have searched through all eternity, Lord, and we found there is none like you. Covenant keeping God, there is no one like you. Alpha and Omega, Jesus, there is no one like you, covenant-keeping God. There is no one like you, Yahweh, Alpha and Omega. Yahweh, there is no one like you, Yeshua, Yeshua, Amashiach. Lion of Judah, Agone Chembao, Yeshua, Amashiach, Lion of Judah, Agone Chembao, Yeshua, 
Amashiach, Lion of Judah, Agone Chimbao, Shabaladadao, Sawa, Yeshua, Amashiach, Lion of Judah, Agone Chimbao. We worship you, we worship you, your God. From beginning to the end, there's no place for argument. You are God all by yourself. You are God from beginning to the end. There's no place for argument. You are God all by yourself. You are God from beginning till the very end. There is no place for argument. You are God all by yourself. Kali brado shabalada. Egadidi brado the Lord is the light, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid of? Lord, I thank you for your light. I see light. Thank you for light. Thank you for wisdom. Thank you for filling us with wisdom today. We elevate to a new level of wisdom in you. Holy Spirit, we open our hearts this morning for your light. We receive the light of God at a new capacity and dimension. We receive the wisdom of God for the next. Thank you, God, for new insight, new revelation, new knowledge. Oh, anoint our eyes with eyes of that we might see a Libra dosha clarity clarity of vision clarity of purpose clarity of assignment clarity in direction body bradosha a libra dosha and i decree let there be light let there be light let there be light let there be light in the name of jesus let there be light in our lives let there be light in our circumstances let there be light in our vision and our mind and our thought the light of god the light of yahweh the light of the elohim the one that says let there be light when he created the heavens in the beginning, he said, let there be light. Oh, thank you, God, for light. Thank you for illuminative light. Thank you for creative light. Thank you for light that darkness cannot comprehend. <laughs> oh, thank you for wisdom. Thank you for wisdom. Wisdom for witty inventions. Wisdom for direction. Wisdom to speak. Words of wisdom. Words of knowledge. Thank you for wisdom that stands out. The wisdom that you gave Solomon to rule and serve the people. Thank you for wisdom at the grade of God. Thank you because the wisdom of God is not the wisdom of men. We receive the wisdom of God. We receive the ancient wisdom of God. Lord, teach us the language of reality. School us in the customs of reality and teach us the language of the great, the wisdom of the ancient of days. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We give you all the praise. We give you all the praise. We welcome you today, you know, as we, as we, as we study your word. Carry us on the winds and the wings of your spirit tonight, not by power, not by might, but by your spirit, says the Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for such a beautiful way to usher in your presence. Thank you for the, the, those, the words from the songs. Thank you, Lord, because that thing that was designed to keep us out 
God is using to bring us into our destiny and the fulfillment of the promises of God. I saw you said you were doing a new thing. Like, wow, this is so powerful. This, this moment, like, I pray that the Lord will open your eyes to see what was happening in the spirit. Victory, God working and just doing what, making a way in the desert. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. There is none like you, God, in heaven and on earth. No one, no one can compare. No one can stand beside you. God, we thank you because we serve a living God. We give you all the praise. We thank you. We thank you, Lord. We welcome you here once again. Wow. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just going to jump right in into our session for today. We're studying the book of John 13, 18 to 38. So from the last study, we talked, we studied John 13, 1 to 17. And some of the key, you know, things that stood out was that when you understand the times and the seasons, you know what you ought to do and when to do it. Um, it means that you're doing the right thing at the right time. And this means you will be relevant in your sphere of influence. Um, number two, you cannot be greater than the person that birthed or created you. We kind of went into a bit of that. Um, number three, Jesus led by example. He did everything in excellence, even the lowly jobs. He was both a king and a servant. He was both God and man. And he was bold and humble. So he understood that life is about and with a mix of balance, right? And so Jesus is really our ultimate role model, especially as it comes to, you know, our multidimensionality in you know, walking that and principle, I feel like that's where a lot of people struggle, but Jesus shows us that you can both be a king and a servant, literally in the same scenario. Um, finally, the mind of Christ is in you, is in you as a disciple, as a child of God, the mind of Christ is in you. And because of that, you can do all things because his, his mind, his capacity, the source of your strength, his mind capacity is the source of your strength. It is in you right? Jesus pretty much, when his mind is in us, we're able to become more divine. We're able to access this mental capacity that belongs to Christ, right? And which is what enables us to live, you know, an abundant and extraordinary, successful and fulfilled life, you know, on earth. And so I'm going to read the chapter and then we go into our teaching. So John 3, 18. Um, from the Christian Standard Bible, it says, I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. Truly, I tell you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me. And the one who receives me receives him who I sent. Um, verse 21, when Jesus had said this, he was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. The disciples started looking at one another, uncertain which one he was speaking about. One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was reclining close behind, beside Jesus. Um, Simon Peter motioned to him to find out who it was, was talking about. So he leaned back against Jesus and asked him, Lord, who, who is it? Verse 26, Jesus replied, he is the one I give the piece of bread to after I have dipped it. When he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. After Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, what are you doing? Do quickly. None of these, those reclining at the table knew why he said this to him. Since Judas kept the money back, some thought that Jesus was telling him, by what we need for this festival, by what we need for this festival, or that he should give something to the poor. 
Verse 30, after receiving the piece of bread, he immediately left and it was, and it was night. Verse 31, when Judas, when he had left, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. <laughs> little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me. And just as I've told the Jews, and so now I tell you where I'm going, you cannot come. I give you a new command, love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Verse 36, Lord Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Mm, wow. Mm. Lord Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Really? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will crow until you have denied me three times. As I just read like verse 36, it's like, where am I going? You cannot follow me now. You will follow later. It's almost like you can't begin to walk in your purpose until I've fulfilled mine. That's a short summary of the insight I just got now. So if you read in NKJV says, I do not speak concerning all of you. So this is verse 18. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. In verse 18, we see that Jesus started speaking about Judas Iscariot. And he said, I know whom I have chosen. I know whom I have chosen to betray me, basically, so that scripture may be fulfilled. That is what I believe it means because it says, oh, I do not speak concerning all of you. So like the rest, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. It's just interesting. I was like, let's not even talk about how God chooses everyone for a particular purpose. Can you imagine if you were the one chosen to betray Jesus? Like what kind of fate is that? <laughs> but remember, but remember from our last teaching, Jesus had already prayed for him. And then even when he prayed, like, God, forgive them for they, for they don't know what they, do, what they do. You know, it had kind of covered that. But it's just quite interesting that Jesus said, I have chosen, I know whom I have chosen to fulfill the scripture. And I was just like, we must fear God. Like, we must understand the totality of who God is. Like, it's just, it's just, that, it's just very interesting, you know. <laughs> Um, anyways, Judas was predestined to pre betray Jesus. Jesus also said, Judas has lifted his heel against him. And I want to pause there. This sounds familiar, right? Jesus Christ is, was using the same analogy that God used in Genesis here, which is Christ profound. He said, Judas has lifted his heel against me. So let's go back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God said to the serpent in the Garden of Eden, and I will put en enmity, enmity <laughs> between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Right? We know that this seed, this was referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the situation there, right? And so Jesus said to Judas, the one who eats with me, the one who has spent time with me, remember Jesus enjoyed intimate garden. So with his disciples, that's what he was doing, has lifted up his heel against me. Judas ate bread with Jesus. The serpent gave Eve an apple to eat. Both scenarios signify the way the enemy deals and operates. He spends enough time with you. 
even while the presence of God is there. He dines with you, he's in your thoughts. He's basically spending time with you, even if you carry the presence of God, because the battlefield is really in the mind. And as he does so, he lifts up his heel against you or us, right? He strikes, he poisons your thoughts, your mind. He plants fear, anxiety, insecurity, self-sabotage, perpetuates dysfunction, negative mindsets, limiting mindsets, and so on, right? So Satan was able to deceive Eve because he studied her. He spent time with her in the garden. After all, he was another animal that took the form of a serpent. <laughs> and just like Judas, he spent, Judas who spent time with Jesus. So he knew Jesus very well. I mean, he followed, you know, Satan even followed Jesus to the wilderness to tempt him. And we know Jesus carried the presence of God, just like the presence of God was with, was with Eve, Adam and Eve in the garden. So why am I saying this? And what can we get from this? Just because that the presence of God does not guarantee the absence of Satan or the enemy in our lives. <laughs> in fact, if you carry his presence, best believe the enemy will always try to be around to bring you down. This is why... We can't say we are avoiding the enemy. We can't avoid him. It's just part of life. We trample on him. We overcome and we overpower him with our weapons of war, which is the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10, from verses 10 to, I think, to the, to the end or so. The second thing we can see here is if we don't discern the enemy around us, if we don't discern him dining with us, which is what Jesus did, spending time in your headspace, then he will strike your heel. And when he strikes your heel, then this leads to disobedience. This leads to disobeying God. And this is not about disobeying the Ten Commandments because I don't know about you, but growing up in church, it's always been like, ah, I will not lie, I will not steal. Yes, those are there. But disobedience is more intricate than that. The truth is when you are not obeying God's plan for your life, you are in disobedience. We are in disobedience. When we don't, we are not following God's plan, we are in disobedience. When God is saying, this is a plan I have for you, but you end up going through your own plan, that is disobedience. And we can see from this text with Jesus and even with Eve in the garden, it had nothing to do with the Ten Commandments. That didn't, the Ten Commandments didn't even exist in the times of Eve, right? And God instituted it because of man, because they kept saying they wanted a law. They wanted something to guide them. They cried. And that's why God gave them the Ten Commandments. It was not part of his plan. So can you see that we are the ones that come up with, like human beings, literally, we just, we're just dramatic. And I always point this out because every time humanity is always trying to blame God. Oh God, why is this happening? Why is that? God does not have anything to do with anything. We are the ones that are in creating this world that we're in right but god is always trying to work with us that is what he does always trying to work with us so when you allow satan to grab onto your heel to spend time with you he begins to infuse your thoughts with things that are not aligned to the will of god he begins to infuse those things into your mind through fear through anxiety through worry through self-pity through self-sabotage through any limiting mindset anything that will just bring you into disobedience and so what now happens is that you end up taking decisions outside the will of god and then that's how you walk in disobedience and then what that happens then we begin to face the consequences of disobedience just like adam and eve and what does that mean disobedience 
disobedience takes us farther away from God. It takes us farther away from his presence. Because the only way to be close to God's presence is when we obey. So Satan doesn't directly do anything. We make the choice. Even with God, we make the choices. He just plants the seed. The Holy Spirit plants a seed and he says, once you to obey, it's not a do or die affair. And this is why we must discern the arsenals of the enemy. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse 11 says, lest Satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. This is what we're learning. This is a device of the enemy. It's always there. There's no, ah, you know, some people say, Satan, fall down, die. He cannot die. If imagine, he would have been dead by now if all those prayers were, he cannot die. He's a spirit being, where is he dying? Moreover, he's a spirit being, he's not going anywhere. And he has a job description. His job description is to, to steal, to kill and destroy. And he's very good at it. So we are the ones that must discern. We are the ones that must know his devices. We, know, we must know how he works. And that's why the enemy is always blocking our eyes so that we can't see. Because once you don't, because the Bible says, my people perish because of lack of knowledge, right? So once you have the, with this knowledge now, you are equipped with new armor, armory to fight against the enemy. But without this knowledge, guess what? You are ignorant. That's what it means. And the enemy can just feast on our lives, on our destiny on our purpose. But if like Jesus, we're able to discern the enemy, then we have an upper hand. Yes, he may dine with you. He may be all up in your mind, in your thoughts, putting fear, putting anxiety, putting worry, but you are able to discern. You are able to discern. When he's doing that, that is him striking your heel. The Bible says that, don't let him have a foothold. I was like, I get, I just understood what that meant. The foothold is because the serpent grabs your heel, he's on your foot. And when something grabs your heel, guess what? You can't walk. <laughs> oh, the Bible is so, I've never seen a, a book more intentional. The serpent was designed, was designed to grab our foot because when you, are, when you are disabled in your legs, you can't move. <laughs> Foothold. That's what the enemy does. And then he says, and then he's striking your heel. But then you stand in authority and power through obedience to strike his head. Remember, Jesus said, God said, you you will bruise his head, Christ will bruise his head or strike his head. And then Satan will strike the heel. So both things are happening. Satan is striking the heel, Christ is bruising the head. But guess what? I'm going to give you guys something now. So because you are aware, right? You are able to strike his head. The striking head versus bruising feet, there are two different impacts too. So many believers are not aware. So that's why we get tossed to and fro. So when I say dying, when I, you know, when I say these things, you know, I've said it, I mean that the enemy spends time with us in our thoughts, you know, through fear, panic and all that, right? Sometimes logic, you know, sometimes anxiety, just different things that are not aligned with what God is, we walk with the fruit of the spirit, with the word of God, with how God operates, with kingdom, right? And this is how he strikes our heel. This is how he has a foothold on us. And unless we recognize, we will end up like Adam and Eve on the side of disobedience. And I'll be lying to you if I said that this version of myself was always like this. I No, I wasn't. But through prayer and meditating on the word and obeying the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has been able to build and fortify me so much that I can discern which one is my thoughts, the thought that I think, the one that Satan puts there because Satan, you know, fear, anxiety, he has a, there's no peace. And the ones from God, 
the ones that we think are usually logical the ones from satan they are riddled in panic in anxiety in depression in worry he has his own you know you know characteristic the one with god has peace clarity certain things when you begin to walk God, you know the difference you are able to discern you must spend time with god you must meditate this is why jesus was able to discern we all have to get to this level of spirituality and the truth is the higher you go the more sophisticated satan's arsenals are you know just keep this in mind the arsenals of the enemy in our times are as sophisticated as the, as the times that we are in and if your software isn't upgraded you will crash it is not a curse it is just what it is so we must upgrade our software you must upgrade your spirit being every time so that we are operating at the highest levels that can match that can match the arsenals that can match the weapons that can match the devices of the enemy that satan is throwing at us because he's always there waiting to strike your heel it was in the garden it was with jesus you are not different <laughs> He's doing his nine to five. That is, that's what he has been paid to do. That's his job. He's really good at it. If only we Christians would be good at, just as good as, Satan is so good at what he does. If only we can even match up to his level of excellence in his work. He's so good. Well, I guess because he was also a, a son of God. He has the spirit of excellence in him. So he does his work very well, never failing. <laughs> Ephesians chapter five, verse 14 says, therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. We must, as believers, we can't be sleeping, <laughs> not even in the times that we're in, there are dark times, very dark, not that because it's just all this craziness happening now, it's the subtlety of the devices of the enemy, you wouldn't know, in fact, you would think you are making the right decision, and the Bible says, even the elect to be deceived, that is how subtle, and how sophisticated the weapons of the enemies are of the enemy is in these times that we're in. And I thank God for Jesus for what happened in this verse. And it shows us how we can overcome and strike the head of the serpent and in turn reverse what the enemy meant for harm and turn it to our good. It shows us how we can walk in obedience to terminate the arsenals of the enemy when it comes to our lives and the fulfillment of our destiny. So when Jesus said, Judas has lifted his heel against him. He was saying, I shall bruise your head, right? Because that statement when God said, because when God made that statement in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, it was an armed statement. As Satan is striking the heel, Christ is bruising the head. That is how we walk. Satan is striking. He's poisoning you with evil thoughts. You stand, um, you know, I do not have the spirit of fear, but I have the spirit of love and of sound mind. When he throws another thing, oh, it's not going to happen. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither is he the son of man that he should repent. You must be armed with the word of God. You must know your word. You must be fortified in your spirit. You cannot be weary. You cannot be weak. Your mind must be strong. You pray in the spirit until you become a new man. You literally pray until you feel yourself transformed to a new version of yourself. I've said this before. You pray until you change. You will know that you, you are not the same person that, that came into that prayer room. This is how we grow and we become more like Christ. The Holy Spirit is here. So anytime Satan lifts his heel against Christ, against the word of God, against the word of God spoken over you, then you shall use the word that is Jesus to bruise and strike the head of Satan. That's what I'll just explain now. You walk, you walk with the word. I love it. Satan strikes the heel. We deal with his head. Look, the question is not even balanced. Do you get what I'm saying? 
we take out his head. The serpent is able to strike the hill because the snakes, would, as I said, would, they would typically wrap themselves around the feet of people as a foothold. That's why the Bible says the enemy is like, he holds you like a foothold because he, he doesn't want you to walk. So guess what? You have the upper hand. You can cut off the head of the serpent that is around your feet where he strikes you, right? As I said, the striking is how he poisons our mind. So that's just the illustration. Putting, as is, you know, the serpent's, he will cling, you know, wrap himself around. Like if you just literally imagine that, and then the serpent will just boom strike with venom and poison us with fear, with anxiety, with all these things that make us question our God-given identity. And this is what happened to Eve. And as disciples of Christ, you have the authority. We have the authority to strike the head of the serpent, and you have the power to do that because you have a vantage point to cut off his head, not just from a place of authority, but from a, think about a snake on your neck. You are literally above, you can see it. So you can actually know when to strike his head, but we get disabled by the venom. So we focus on the venom so much that we forget that, oh my God, I can actually cut off the head of this snake and yank it off my, my feet. Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus says to his disciple, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. You can see, to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. If you are born again and you are being discipled by Christ through his word and the Holy Spirit, begin to walk in your authority. This is part of our inheritance in Christ Jesus. So what does this mean for us today? What does this mean for us today? So this morning, the Holy Spirit began to teach me with new understanding on a higher level explanation of what the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 6 means and how it is actually related to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 that we read above. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 6 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And we read what Genesis 3.15 says earlier. So here's the link, and here's how we can apply the understanding of this to live extraordinary and empowered lives day to day, right? So please stay with me here. I'm going somewhere. And I pray that as I speak, the Lord will open the eyes of your heart and understanding to, to understand what I'm saying and to receive what, what, it is, what God has for you in this word. So the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not human. They are not flesh. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, we are fighting against, what we are fighting against is not human, another human per se, but they are spirits such as the spirit of fear, the spirit of anxiety, the spirit of worry, depressions, all this self-sabotage, self-pity, mediocrity, procrastination, insecurities, all these negative and evil spirits, which God has been teaching me recently, like, look, what, God, what the enemy is really throwing out a lot of people are all these things, not even the things we consider as our enemy, fall down, fall down and die. It's all these things like fear and all these things. They come to steal, they come to kill, they come to destroy. Like literally, we are the ones, we, we have the power to change our lives. We, 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 we. 
And the word says, our weapons are mighty in God to pull down all these negative spirits, all these negative thoughts, limiting mindset, negative mindset. But how do we pull them down? We pull them down through obedience, right? And in this script, this scripture, we can see how through Jesus's obedience, he was able to pull down and strike the heel of the enemy. Strike, bruise the head of the enemy because the enemy was going to strike his heel. So our weapon is our obedience. And this is exactly what Jesus did here. In making sure he obeyed God and was walking according to the will of God, he was able to eventually strike the head of Satan. And we will see later in the text how Satan entered Judas after Jesus gave him the bread. Jesus obeyed God exactly how God wanted it done. Through obeying the instruction, instructions that God um, God gives us, we can take these negative thoughts, these thoughts that come as a result of the enemy dining with us, just, you know, the mindset, the, the negative mindset, the negative things he throws in our head every, all day, 24-7, he's there, that's his job. You know, what he uses to, to bruise our heel, to strike our heel, we're able to take them captive to the obedience of Christ, to the obedience of the word of God, which says he will bruise the head of the serpent. So once you are able to obey, that obedience is literally cutting that the head of Satan, the serpent out. So he can no longer have a foothold in your life in that area. So the more you obey, you know, have you ever, I don't know if you've ever experienced where there's something that you used to do and then the Holy Spirit just tells you what to do. You just keep doing it, keep doing it. Before you know, you're just like, wow, I don't even do that anymore. You don't even know when. That's what it means when the head of Satan has been cut off and then that grip, he no longer has it on you. With time, you just see it's gone. So when we are obedient to the instruction that God gives us, God will now punish all disobedience. God will punish Satan. Verse six says, God is ready to punish all disobedience when our obedience is complete. So that's um, 2 Corinthians 10, verse six. When our own obedience is complete, our obedience has to be complete for God to punish Satan, for the grip to be, to be loose. When God will, you know, right? So Satan will begin to loosen his grip from our heels. God punished all disobedience of Satan that pertain to Jesus and he, the purpose of Jesus coming, right? To, which was to, to restore humanity back to God because Jesus' obedience was, because Jesus's obedience was complete. That is how Jesus was able to win this battle. His obedience did not miss a beat. It was complete to the T. Even to the place of death, he was crying, God, make this new pastor. He's like, okay, I will die. His obedience was complete. And it is because Jesus obeyed that we are here today. Just imagine if Jesus was any of us. Well, he couldn't have been anyways because who would have died if not for him? <laughs> so Jesus paid the ultimate price indeed by obeying God to fulfill his purpose. With this in mind, because Jesus has already punished all disobedience of Satan, we can walk in that confidence that we can also do the same. We can both walk from a place of victory and a place of authority. So we see how Christ really is the ultimate role model of how we can use our obedience to disable the grip of Satan over our lives. We can also cut off his head completely and get liberty in that area of your life that you need freedom from. This is how you get free from things that have been perpetuating your life for years. It's through obedience. You are set free through obedience. You are set free through obedience 
that is the word for someone. You are set free. That thing that you have been saying, this is a cycle, this is a cycle. I want to get free. You are set free through obedience. But the challenge is that because we don't discern obedience. We are waiting for one big word. Obedience can be as little as don't send that message. Just very random. It can be as little as wake up right now and pray. It can be, it's, oh, oh God. As you obey God step by step, every fear, every anxiety, it can even be go to the grocery store. It can be as little as that. But some, oh, I'm not feeling like it. It can be as little as go out, take a walk, simple things that set us free. But we are waiting for something big. Oh, go to church and pray for 50 days and 50 nights. Well, that happens, but obedience, we got very little. And you see how Jesus, what Jesus did that triggered obedience, what he did in obedience that triggered the series of events that will take place after in, in this particular story. So as we obey God, every fear, every anxiety, and these things that are that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, these things that are disobedient to the word of God, these things that will now get punished because we obey. And as, and, I, and as I said, this is how we walk in freedom, you know, in the different areas of our lives that Christ came to give, give us freedom for. The Bible says that where the spirit of God is, there is liberty. This is what God is talking about. And this is how we are restored back to the original versions of ourselves. The version of us God desires, the version of us he created when he formed us in our mother's womb. Obedience will not just save you, but it will restore you and it will set you free. Jesus would eventually strike Satan's head, both literally and figuratively, because Judas Iscariot, his head was actually cut off physically. Do you get? So to be honest, a lot of things you experience in the physical, it's just a a call. It's almost like a replica of what your spirit realm looks like. If your physical life is in disorder, your spirit realm is definitely in disorder. It's just what it is. I always know when I need order in my life. When my laptop, when I have so many things opening, like on my laptop, not my tabs, but on my computer screen, on my desktop, when I have so many files just laying around and it's not properly arranged, I know, I know there's a bit of disorder somewhere. <laughs> because as a man thinks, so he is, he, he is. So if there's disorder, there's, there's a bit of disorder. <laughs> it's not that it's an, a full gauge, but it sometimes points us into what our, like our spirit realm is like, like what's actually happening in the spirit realm. If you are facing a lot of confusion, best believe your spirit realm is confused. That's why we ask God for clarity. We ask God for clarity. Jesus would eventually strike Satan's head. And then we know how we did it. You know, Satan was defeated. We all know that Jesus took the keys of hell and death and of the grave. Revelation 1.18 says, I am the living one. I died. But look, I, I am alive forever and I hold the keys of death and the grave. This is so beautiful. Thank God that Jesus obeyed and we have been set free from death and the grave. In verse 19, Jesus says, now I tell you before it comes, 
that when it does come to pass, you may believe, you know, Jesus identifies his betrayer so that when the time comes, when it happens, his disciples will believe that he is God. You know, as always, Jesus always kept doing these things to give them confirmation, not that he was confirming his identity, you know, and trying to do like, oh, I'm God, or even trying to prove to them that he's God, but he was doing it to them so that they could believe because as we know, human beings, we all, we're always looking for confirmation. And we've talked about this a lot during, you know, our teachings, how Jesus was always doing miracles, always doing stuff so people could believe, right? And it's just like we are today, you know, we, are, we constantly need God to confirm that it is God. It happens. So truly nothing is new, right? So Jesus was constantly confirming. I'm doing this so you can know just another confirmation so that you're not confused. You know, as I said, we are all human beings are always living in that, almost like in that perpetual state of confusion. And until we continue to align, align, align with God, you know, we will just be in that state, which is why I said your spirit in your spirit realm, if physically you are just constantly confused. You need to be, we need to pray, you need to pray more. You need to seek the face of God more so that you can start aligning. Because once you align with God, there's more clarity. I'm not saying it's always easy, but the more we align with God, the Bible says that when we renew our minds, we know the perfect will of God. The more we align with God, the more we know his will, the more we get clarity, the less we are confused. So Jesus Iscariot became a vessel used by the devil. And I found it quite profound that the devil was among Jesus' disciples. Like he knew a lot about him. As I said, the devil dines with us, right? So he knows us, he knows our history, he knows your family, he knows the generation's history. He's been around way before we existed. And here's the truth that many believers can fathom. If the devil is hanging with Jesus and even with God in the presence of God, when God called the sons of God in the book of Job, please, who are we that we feel like, like the enemy cannot attack our minds? You know, sometimes when people get too much into religion, People say sexy things, and I'm just like, <laughs> feel, feel entitled. The enemy is just the enemy. He's just doing his job. We have to discern, right? So we must learn to discern the enemy so that we can strike his head. He's not going to leave. Because some people, they pray, fall down, die, 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 be destroyed. He's not, be, he's not being destroyed. He's not de- the destruction is coming when Jesus comes and puts him in, in this thing 1,000 years. And eventually, bans, banishes him completely. But we destroy, destroy. We can trample over him, right? And we can we can walk in complete freedom of his name, but he's always, what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is that when it comes to our mind and our thoughts and the things that actually make us live an extraordinary life, the enemy is constantly throwing things at us. I'm not talking about physical, you know, sometimes the enemy comes in form of demons and, you know, attacks, those sort of attacks. That one is there. That's a different thing. But I'm talking about, what enables you as a person to live an extraordinary life? You know, once all those demonic things are wiped away from your life, the main battle, the main battle when you are walking in the presence of God, because those, once you are fully in the presence of God, those demonic things have to go. But once you are fully in the presence of God, the enemy's arsenal is in our mind. And this is where most people miss, miss it because we don't understand this arsenal of the enemy. So remember, you have the authority and the power to crush his head. And this is the understanding we must walk in. We must be powerful believers, not getting tossed to and fro by the arsenals of the enemy, which now weakens our own power, right? To strike his heel. So 
to strike your heel, as I said, is to weaken you from moving forward. Your, your strike to his head is to kill him completely. You can't be, you can't be sleeping with fear now. You can't be, be entertaining panic in your thoughts. You can't be entertaining panic, anxiety, worry. And some people are like, oh, I just, I'm just, I just have anxiety. We say those things, but those things are not good. Oh, I'm just worried. Our strike is to kill him completely. You can even see from this analogy that Satan can only weaken. He cannot destroy you. So some people, they feel like, ah, oh, they're like, Satan, they're, they're like, they're, they live in so much fear. Satan has such a grip on them from a place of fear. Someone that they think that Satan can, he cannot destroy you. We can see it here. He can only weaken you. You have the, you can destroy him. This is the understanding he doesn't want you to know. This is the understanding he doesn't want you to know. You, he cannot destroy you. He can only weaken you. What Satan does is he wearies you out so much so that you will be the one to give up. There was a story, there was a story that I heard of a guy who was saying, so he, I think he had a vision and he was telling God, God was telling him that, ah, you stole meat from the pot. Ah, he was like, God, I did not steal. It was Satan that made me steal. So the angel that was there was like, would you recognize Satan if you see him? He's like, ah, uh -uh, yes, now, ah, uh ah, -uh, uh -uh, yes. <laughs> so they, so a man came, very good looking, handsome guy. Said, do you recognize this man? He said, no, I've never seen him before. <laughs> the man now said, I'm Satan. He was like, no, you can't be. He's like, you're a stupid guy. You, you went to the pot and took the meat. You are now calling my name. But that's what the enemy does. Thoughts through our thoughts, we then make the action. And we now walk in disobedience. Can you see how the enemy walk? And so if we can discern him quickly so that the venom doesn't kill you, right? You will cut off his head. And in my favorite Spartacus phrase, kill them all, kill him, kill him, kill all his entourage, kill his kill fear, kill self-sabotage, kill self-pity, kill everything that the enemy feels like is his own armory. Weaken that armory so much that he has no power over you. So right then in verse 20, Jesus spoke as God himself. And he said, he who receives, he will send Jesus, receives God. And if you receive Jesus, you receive God. You receive who sent him, which is God. So basically he was just showing us the relationship between him and God. And at the same time, we can see the dynamic shift of Jesus stepping into his authority as God in that moment, that he knew that Jesus, Judas would bruise his heel, but he knew that he would strike. So it was like, as he, as he knew that Judas was going to bruise his heel, he knew that I must strike his head. So immediately he stood in his authority as God. So of course we know that Jesus was fighting Satan, not necessarily Judas directly, but we can see how he stepped into authority and how you know we, we ourselves can step into authority in those moments when Satan is trying to strike our heel. And you can see how Jesus embodied God. Like he literally shifted like, oh, Judas, you cannot get me. I am fortified. He embodied God. When he made that statement, he stood in authority. And boom, Luke 24, verse 49, he says, and it's Jesus that said, 
Jesus that said, Behold, I send you the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. This is what I was saying. The more you spend time with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you can stand in this kind of authority that Jesus did. And this is what I love to call Holy Spirit boldness. You are just bold. You don't even know how. And only the Holy Spirit can make you bold and courageous to face the enemy head on. You are looking at fear in the face and you're saying, you, 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 you are a joker. You think you can get me. You, you think, you know, the, you know, the, you know why fear is such a bad thing? You know why anxiety and all these things are bad? Because you make decisions based on that. That decision can never be in alignment with God's plan for your life. Never. Because where there's fear, God is not there. That's the challenge. So it is nothing like, you know, people over-spiritualize them. But if you think about it, it's reality. If you make a decision out of fear, it can never work for you because it's out of fear. But if you make a decision out of a sound mind, <laughs> then it can work. It's in alignment. And many people want to face the enemy, but there's no Holy Spirit empowerment. How? We must be people that are empowered every day, speaking in the spirit, Ephesians 6, put on the armor of God, pray in the spirit continually. You are praying in your bathroom, in your car, as you are walking, you are constantly praying in the spirit, fortifying yourself, building up your armor, literally like an army. When you are walking, the enemy can tell that, ah, this one is fortified. But no, we don't want to pray. You can't even wake up at night to pray. We will sleep. Even in the morning to pray, we can't. God help us. Verse 21 to 34. As soon as Jesus said these things, he was troubled in his spirit. I love this so much. This, I love the dynamicity of as we're moving deeper into, or maybe I'm just growing in my understanding as, I, as I'm studying the word. Um, he was troubled in his spirit. Again, we can see the vulnerability of Jesus here. I love it. Something that was so much God. He was now vulnerable. This is so profound because sometimes we don't know that we can have two, two emotions simultaneously, you know, or two experiences at the same time because we are spirit beings having earthly and human experiences. So Jesus is here stepping in his authority as God in verse 20, right? And then in verse 21, he's troubled. His humanity kicked in. His humanity, knowing that someone is about to betray him. Oh my God. When I was writing this, I started crying. Jesus felt it. He felt the betrayal. His humanity kicked in. He felt betrayed. You know, just like we will feel if someone that you, someone that was so close to you, you know, you know, will betray you. And you know, I really felt the pain of Christ there. Your own disciple will betray you. Yet, yes, he was the one that chose Judas to betray him. I put in bracket God's plan, right? But Christ felt betrayed, his humanity, the human feeling. So sometimes we try to remove our human feelings from God's equation. And when we do, we tend not to have a holistic picture of God. This happens a lot. That's why people question God a lot because they're not able to balance, okay, God, human. Like in this kind of situation, like, but God chose, but God was the one that chose Judas. He was also feeling betrayed. It's just what it is. This is the reality of the world that we live in. This is why you can't read the Bible just like a book. You must just bring it into the context of both humanity and the spirit as a spirit being. 
that has been elevated in Christ Jesus. So this is Jesus experiencing both sides of eternity at the same time. And this is why many people can't understand why crazy things are happening in the world, as I said, or why men of God will fall. You know, people are like, ah, how can a man of God? Uh-uh. Humanity, we are all humans. There's a constant thug. Um, there's a constant tug. I said, <laughs> there's a constant tug between walking as a spirit being and a human being. The dynamics are very intricate. This is high level stuff. This is why God instituted grace. This is what grace is about. And if you if you are listening, to, if you read the grace, the Bible says the um the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Only Christ understood the meaning of grace because he, he, he's moving in between, fluctuating between trying to take the higher road and constantly dealing with human emotions. That's why it is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God. God is the one that is God's love is just too much. But Christ understands grace. That's why it's his grace. And this is why he's the one interceding for us because he gets it. He's like, I lived on earth. This place is crazy. Humanity, being human is not easy. <laughs> God is good. And indeed, he wants us to make it and we will make it. So it's okay to move between emotions of the reality of being human and the decisions we have to make as spirit beings. This is what makes working with relationship with God, not religion. Because when you're religious, some people say, oh, wow, oh, something happened to you then it's almost like you can't even cry. Or you know how some people, <laughs> and I was I posted today that some people don't know how to relate with me. They talk to me in KJV. They're like, oh, girl, oh, how are you doing today? Oh, may the, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. But how are you doing? Are you okay? Which one is quoting scripture? Humanity, people don't know how to reconcile. Walking spiritually in God and being human, this is what we're talking about. If you don't understand this, your work with God, it will, see, it will be very, you wouldn't enjoy it. You'll be caught up with religion. You will not have filled liberty. It's okay to be human. It's not that we take grace for granted, but God understands our humanity. You talk to some people, they want to greet you. They'll be greeting you with, <laughs> oh, good afternoon, everyone. Ah, but chill, it's not that deep now. Right, So the key is that we lean more into the spirit and allow that to control our human experience, but it's okay to have human emotions. You don't have to always be, oh, oh, how are you doing today? Let the weak say I'm strong. Yes, let the weak say I'm strong. <laughs> if, if today is a bad day, God, I'm having a bad day. But I know that your word says, everything works together for my good. I know that you can turn this bad day around. Do you, get, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Not, oh, so how are you having a bad? Oh, glory to God. Oh, really? I don't know why I'm even just dwelling on that, but it's just quite profound. I've started noticing people. Is let's. This is why we restudied the word. I'm so glad that I'm reading this in the Bible, because it's something that came into in understanding, but I didn't. I hadn't seen it in Scripture. So looking at it, I'm like, yes, we lean more into our spirit, but it's okay to have human emotions. We are humans after all. But then because we are spirit being trying to be Christ-like, we must choose to elevate our renewed spirit over our human emotions. That's just what it is. But it doesn't mean that you let go. That's why some Christians, they, will, they wouldn't go to therapy. 
because they over spiritualize everything if you need to go to therapy go there if you need to get a coach get a coach if you need to get a mentor get a mentor So Jesus was troubled because he knew Judas, Judas didn't even understand the gravity of what was happening or what was going to happen. And the thought of a predestined betrayer was even more troubling. No, we have to give Jesus props. He knew he was going to be betrayed, yet he didn't even act petty. If it was us, we would have blocked the person on IG, ignored them, cancel culture. <laughs> right? And funny enough, I posted something on Instagram today, which is random because I just posted it and I'm reading this scripture and it was, I was, it was, it was on how um, the Holy Spirit reveals people's foul motives to you. But as a mature believer, we have to act like Jesus, right? And Jesus was going through the same thing. The Holy Spirit had revealed that Judas is the one that's going to betray you. So get, get with the program. We don't throw it in their faces. We don't cut them off crazily. We don't do those things regular human beings tend to do. We don't cancel people, cancel culture, cancel them. Just because you have information and insight. Because when you begin to walk with God at a level, he begins to show you people before they even, they show them. It's funny because people, some people, when they talk to me, I've already seen all this conversation we're having. And I'm like, wow, you're literally playing into, the thing that amazes me, how people can literally play into what God has shown. The ones with the, found, the negative motives, God has already revealed them. But you can never know. And that's how we must act. We must, we must steward the rest. It is a huge responsibility to work with God at this level. We must steward it properly. And I'm so glad for this example, as I said, that I, this thing happened. I've seen it in the scripture. I'm able to be like, wow, okay, I have a word of God to hold on to now. And then we see that the disciples, they started looking at one another, like, who is Jesus talking about? Um, wondering if there's any of them, you know, and it's funny because even Judas didn't even know it, Jesus was talking about him until verse 27, which is quite profound. Like, yeah, it's quite interesting, the dynamics here. Simon Peter asked John to ask Jesus who Jesus was talking about. And I kind of like how Peter said to John, you, to John, you asked, since you are the one Jesus loves, like he will most likely answer you, right? It's very interesting relationship dynamic here with Jesus, you know, with J Jesus, John, and Peter, but I won't go into that. If you're interested, just let the Holy Spirit breathe on you, breathe, um, teach you um, their relationship dynamic. Very interesting. But moving on to verse 25, indeed, Jesus then responded. He said, so when John asked him, so John was like, okay, Peter, I got you. I got you. I'm, I'm cool like that. <laughs> and so Jesus said, it is he who I give this bread to after I've dipped it. I don't know what he was dipping it in, but he said, and, and then Jesus dipped the bread, gave it to Judas Iscariot, um, and yeah, and gave it to Judas Iscariot. I'm going to skip that. Um, and as soon as Jesus gave Judas the bread, Satan entered Judas. Like, as soon as he gave him the bread, immediately kicked in. And this is what I was talking about, obedience. The obedience was that Jesus had to dip that bread in that thing and give it to Judas. If Jesus didn't do that, Satan won't have entered. There are certain actions you have to take for the next thing to click. When you are walking at, in alignment with God, there are certain steps you must take before the next to click. In fact, I've started seeing that God, when you get to a stage in God, he is not even going to show you anything. He's just going to tell you, go to destination A. Like he told Abraham, 
go to go to Mount Moriah. I would when you get there, I'll tell you what to do. First of all, I said go to a land I will show you. Okay. He got to the land. When he goes to get there, go to the Mount Moriah. When you get there, I'll tell you what to do. I will show you the provision. Step-by-step -step obedience is what unlocks your next clarity. The, that next, the clarity you're looking for is at the other end of your obedience. The next step, the, the plan you are looking for to do is at, the, is at the end of your obedience. Right? So, that's why I said, Jesus obeying the instructions God gave him and the actions he took in obedience was what he did to punish all obedience. Imagine if Jesus hadn't obeyed and given Judas the bread, right? Where would we have been? Unfortunately, Judas was a vessel used by God and Satan to fulfill the plan of God. And I want to, I want to mention this a bit because, you know, as we walk, journey through our Christian faith, there are some situations that you tag as bad. But what if it is dual teamwork to get you to step into your destiny? God was very, God chose Judas and Satan did his work too. So they were, they were it was teamwork, team effort <laughs> to ensure that Jesus went to the cross. And I know that this doesn't sound like the God that we know and we love to hear about, oh my God, he's a good, good father. He's who you are. Yes, he is. But this is why we study God. When it comes to God's plan, nothing, there's a plan. And if God can use Satan and walk him into his plan, uh -uh, <laughs> then God can use that situation that you are saying, ah, I bind, I destroy. Baka, Libra, Kadede, you are, he can use that situation that was meant to harm you, to get you to fulfill your destiny. That particular place that you don't want to be in is exactly where God is trying to use to fulfill your destiny. They are saying, ah, Satan, oh my God, oh my God, my life, my this. And God is like, I'm in it. I'm inside. It's very hard to, it's very hard to grasp that part of God, but it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> you know, and the funny thing is that God has been speaking to me about this for a week now because I'm in a place where I'm like, hey, ma, the enemy, bind, I'm binding the enemy. And God is like, the enemy is not inside. I'm the one that is setting you up. And I'm like, ah, really? There's no enemy here. <laughs> you are your enemy. If you disobey, you are your enemy. Is Once you act in obedience, you are, there's no enemy, right? There's no enemy. We are our own enemy because we don't obey. Once I walk in obedience, I will begin to work out the plan. So me seeing this happen here, I'm like, okay, now I have a word to stand on, on, right? That situation is God. Satan is not that powerful. And this is why God said what the enemy meant for harm, God uses, this is why the Bible says, what the enemy meant for harm, God uses for good, right? We are the ones that determine if it will lead to harm based on our perspective, based on how we respond. Are you responding in obedience? Or are you responding in disobedience? I remember response in disobedience is triggered by Satan bruising your heel by in infusing fear and all that. But once you, once you can discern him, you cut it off. You take the opposite route and walk in obedience. Verse 28 to 30. There was no, but no one at the table for whatever reason. They, they, they didn't even understand what Jesus was saying. Like the whole thing is even this part of the story. I was just like, what's going on here? 
right? As I said, like Jesus said, it is whom I will give this bread to that will betray me. But in verse 28, nobody's even on that. I was just, did he, nobody understood what Jesus meant when he said that, you know, when he said that, and then when he said to Judas, what you do, do quickly, right? So I'm kind of like, I didn't get, but didn't he just dip the bread and give it to Judas? So I don't know, really know what happened, but, you know, did Judas, did, did Jude, Jesus dip the bread and did he give it to everyone, right? Such that nobody would know who the betrayer was, right? Very likely that something that Jesus would do, right? So he didn't want to really just throw anybody under the bus. So he gave everyone. Or did he actually give it to Judas and the other disciples saw it, it was Judas, but they just couldn't understand what was going on or what this betrayal was about. I don't know. I'm still asking. I'm still asking because verse 28 says, but none of the disciples knew why he said, like they were literally confused. And I'm also confused as well. And I'm just like, okay, Holy Spirit, um, I'm waiting to, for understanding on this, right? And then Jesus was just telling Judas, he's like, get this job done quickly. Like I need to get this done with. The weight of your betrayal is heavy. Move quickly before I lose my mind. The, again, we see the humanity, the vulnerability of Jesus. Let me go through this dying process quickly and get it done. Jesus was really the only one that could do this because what a mind. Like, you're just like, just get it done. How many times have we told God, let your will be done, but do it quickly, right? Like, I can't go through this pain any longer. God, I'm tired. This is what Jesus was experiencing here. So we see Jesus so relatable. And this, as I said, this is how I want us to read the Bible. Let us not look at the Bible like this religious book, but as a guide to our life, very relatable. It's like, just like Judas, please quickly go and do what you have to do. I, 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 the weight of this purpose is just too much. Like, God, I've been waiting. Like, the weight of this, like, the thought of dying is too much. The thought of waiting for you, you are waiting on the promise of God. It's taking so long. You have been praying. You have been fasting. You have been believing. You have been waiting. You have been hoping. You're like, oh, let it be done. Let it be done. Humanity, vulnerability, it happens. We just don't stay in it for too long. Immediately, just we, we will see Christ surrendering to the will of the Father again right again it's okay to be human not to your detriment though but it's okay to be able to express some of these emotions sometimes right and then as i said in verse 29 some thought did it have to do with the money box that judas handled that jesus kind of was just saying well quickly go buy the items for the fees and some to be honest i i feel their pain because it's still quite they didn't tie to the betrayal i don't know maybe it was even god that just blocked that understanding from them i have no idea as i said it's a pending question in my heart and i i'm just hoping one day the Holy Spirit to explain to me what happened here right i don't have the answers now but if anything comes to me i will definitely share one of the things i want to point out from this text is that why was judas in charge of money and why did they think it was related to the money box this is symbolic of the role money can play as a tool for the enemy in our lives Money is a tool whose love is the root of all evil. Money is also a spirit. So Judas was in charge of money. And I don't know if Jesus assigned that role to him, but I assume he did as a leader. Or, you know, it was just a position that, he has, that Judas took. And of course, Judas began to love it. And we, you know, in our previous teaching, we read how Jesus was saying that, oh, because he steals money from the money bag, he was shady. So he was definitely an easy target to be used by the enemy to 
do this work, right? His heart wasn't for God anyways. He was serving money instead of God. At this point, Judas wasn't serving God, but he was serving mama. He was serving the spirit of money. So we, as disciples and one who want to work with God at a certain level, we must deal with our relationship with money and with greed. Do not let money control you. Definitely do not serve it. And how do you serve money based on our actions? Money is the only other God that God says we should not serve. You know, we see how grave serving money is. And many of us serve money either through our corporate jobs, our businesses, or some of us, we can't even, we don't even give our hands are so tight. You know, poverty just has a way of just making us serve money. And sometimes even abundance, when you're too, we are not grounded too much, yeah, money, 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 chasing money. You see people working 24 seven just to make money. They, they can't even enjoy the money. Serving money, God help us all. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's money. Mammon is the spirit of money. And the text says, when Judas received the bread, he left immediately, assignment activated. Boom, we move. Verse 31 to 35. In verse 31, as soon as Judas left, Jesus now said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. Basically, Jesus knew that Judas leaving meant that victory is here. Victory was there, right? Even Judas in obeying activated a new level of obedience and activated victory. So Jesus had not yet died, but the act of Judas leaving the room, as because Jesus, Jesus obeyed, things were set in motion. That act of him leaving the room set things in motion and activated the manifestation of the word and the redemption plan of God that we enjoy today. This is why we obey. So in other words, when God gives you a word, the sheer act of your obedience sets the word in motion before the actual manifestation. Your victory, your victory is guaranteed once you obey. What is left is now the manifestation. And that begins to unfold as you continue to move in obedience towards the direction of that purpose, of that plan, and the fulfillment, the fulfillment of your destiny. As we can see in the story of Jesus, this led to a series of actions that would eventually lead, eventually lead to him dying on the cross for us. And Jesus said, if God is glorified in him, it means that he is also glorified. And he glorifies him immediately. So if God is if God is glorified in your life, you are indirectly glorified. If God is glorified in our lives as we obey him and do his plan and will for us, God is glorified, not just in the physical realm, but in the spirit realm, so key. Every step we take in obedience, with every step we take in obedience, we are being restored to the glory that we had with God at the foundations of the world. And as such, he is being glorified in our lives. This is so beautiful. So whenever you obey God, whenever I obey God, God is glorified in that his original plan is now able to come to pass. This makes him happy. And this is what brings the glory. The glory is the original plan. The glory of God is the original plan he had for humanity when he was creating us. When he said, I made heaven, and when he was making heaven and it was doing creation, that is the glory. So whenever we obey him, we're able to restore back the original version of ourselves, the original version of the earth. Because when, when we step into who we are, 
who God created us to be, then we are able to bring that into the world and make the world a better place, make it more like heaven on earth. Earlier, earlier the song we sang, the sound of heaven touching earth. When we, when, we walk in, when we walk in obedience, we're able to bring heaven to earth. We're able to allow heaven come to earth and allow earth to be restored back to God's original plan. John 17, 5, Jesus himself said, and now father, glorify me with the glory with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Again, as I obey you, God, restore me back to original intent. For Jesus, he meant, please just take me back to my version of God as Trinity. Do you get? So God was saying, glorify me with the glory I had with you. Because he came to world as human. He's like, God, as I obey you, just bring, take me back to heaven and put me rightly where I belong. Because I was, I need to leave her earth right now. Like he was, he was trying to be restored back to his own version. So we pray this prayer for ourselves. God, that glory that we had with you will begin to restore us back. Christ was saying the same thing. So whenever we obey God and we are moving in the direction of his purpose for our lives, we are being glorified with the glory that we had with him at the beginning of the world of time. So it gives God the glory. In verse 33, he called his disciples little children. He addressed them as children because he wanted to give them a new commandment. Just like when God gave the 10 commandments you know, to Moses and the children of Israel, Jesus took a father role, the role that gives commandments to protect us, right? So literally Jesus gave a new commandment. He said, love one another as I have loved you. And when you love one another, people will know you are my disciple. If you are my true disciple of Christ, when you love your, if you are a true disciple of Christ, then you will love your fellow disciples. And we, and you know, today we see so much hate in the church, right? In fact, people, church people are the ones that just, they do, I've never seen any group of, any religious group more like Christians that throw people, each other under the bus so much more as Christians. I think, they, I, I really don't understand Christians, to be honest. I feel like literally this war against Christianity is so heavy that, Barely have I seen is you know, unless of course the radical Islams, right? But like regular, you know, Muslims just they don't throw each other on the but, but Christians, we will be there committing and abusing people on their status. We are the ones everywhere. Bring it under Christians now. Just quite it's just interesting, right? But here's the fundamental truth: the challenge with the church is that. There are not many disciples. No, people go, people are churchgoers. We have many churchgoers, but no disciples. No, not a lot of Christians are submitted to the authority of the Holy Spirit. They are not submitted to the transformation work that He does in us to make us Christ-like. So we can't even understand discipleship. So we can't even love other people. So if you haven't experienced the love of Christ, and as a result, you cannot give to another because you cannot give what you don't have. If you haven't been discipled by Christ through his word, you don't even have the experience of Christ's love. So how can you give what you don't have? You can't. This is the challenge. For you to be able to love another, you have to experience the love of Jesus first. For you to experience the love of Jesus, for you to experience the love of Jesus that you can give, you have to be his disciple. This, is, this mere act is what sets Christ followers apart from every other Christian. You cannot give what you don't have. You can't give from an empty cup. This just was happening in the church, 
right? And this is what being set apart means, right? People say set apart. Everybody, we just interpret the scripture like everything is a sin. This is what being set apart means, is showing love despite everything. Jesus was set apart. He was set apart in his love. And this is why he was able to die for us. Genuinely, he was discipled by God. He was set apart. He was able to die because he was set apart. It's not about sin. You know, people, we just classify sin as oh, sexual sin, oh, drinking, getting drunk. Those things are not even, the, the greatest sin is the sin against yourself, humanity. Against God's plan. If you drink, you're not, this, if you if you get drunk, God says you're not getting drunk. But if, why are you deceiving? Is your health here? Is your health you're dealing with? It's not God. It's just the way religion has painted so many things that Christians don't even understand that. The real sin is disobedience. And it's not even disobeying, disobeying just the law, like that shall not like that shall not steal. But not walking in God's plan for your life is the greatest disobedience that you anybody can ever do. If you don't walk in purpose, that's the greatest disobedience you can ever do. God help us. So I'm wrapping up soon. Whew, thank you, Lord. In verse 36, Peter asked Jesus where he was going. And Jesus said, you can't come now, but you will come later, right? So I was reading earlier, I kind of felt like, just like, you can't come now. Where I'm going to, like, I have to work out my purpose first before you can even walk out in your purpose. I thought that was quite profound. I didn't see that until I was reading the text. It's like, I have to lead the way, then you will come later. But of course, he also meant that I'm going to die. You can't, don't worry about it. You're not even going to do this. You, Peter, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> so Jesus' purpose was about to be done. Peter still had work to do on earth, right? So it was not a time for Peter to leave earth. It was not a time for him to die. But Peter didn't know what Jesus meant that it was about, that it was about to die, really, even though it has multiple layered meanings, right? As we, as we have seen now. Peter felt like, you know, the most loyal disciple, you know, it was probably, you know, Peter was that, was that disciple, right? Um, he was that guy, very bold, very, you know, he's always spoke up, which is good. But if we see what happened here, isn't it funny how when we are in the presence of God, we tend to make outlandish statements, commitments, and vows with little or no understanding of what we are committing to. Because I found it interesting. Why didn't John who laid his head on the chest of Christ make this statement? Like John was one whose head was on Jesus' heart, right? Well, you know, he, so, he, so that, was, that was how close he was to Jesus because he was literally on the heart of Jesus. Well, is it because he was actually on laying his head on Jesus' heart? So he knew Jesus' heart. He knew how to maintain himself. What a great point of view, right? And it's so profound. And as I said, there's nothing wrong in being Peter, right? Because we all have different personalities. But Peter was just that disciple. <laughs> and there was this same Peter that was telling John to find out who was going to betray Jesus. <laughs> so he was literally tooting his own on and saying he would lay down his life for Jesus. And Jesus was like, are you sure? So Peter is asking, oh, who, is, who, who is going to betray Jesus? Meanwhile, he was going to deny Jesus. How ironic and profound is that? So what is the lesson here? Why am I pointing this out? The lesson here is to always stay humble and meek. We must always submit to learning, always submit to understanding. The boldness of Peter is great, but remember, it's all about balance and learning to slow to speak and quick to listen. 
James 1 19 says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. So Jesus told him, you think you will, but you can't even lay down your life for me. And said, Peter, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. I'm sure Peter was like, nah, no, I, I can't, you know, it was so bold, it was so confident. Hey, great thing, but we're letting, we stay humble because God sees what is coming. God, God saw you were going to deny him. Can you imagine Jesus saying that you're going to sin tomorrow? You're like, ah, oh, no, uh-uh. Me that I fast for one year, uh-uh. I'm fast, fully fast, fasted life, fasted life, crazy faith. <laughs> I walk in authority. But God sees what is coming. And today we have the Holy Spirit that helps us to see what is coming, right? It will be foolish for us to think that the Holy Spirit can give us warnings or tell us an area of our lives that we need where there's a shortcoming. And we feel that because we know the word, we pray, we are spirit-filled that we cannot fall. Hmm. Better listen. Let's learn from Peter. First Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Anybody can follow. Never think you've arrived. James 4, 6 says, and God gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You, that what Peter did was pride. I know, it, I, I got you, God. We move. <laughs> you can't. If God is telling you, you are going to deny me. Don't feel like you know more than God. Though. If God is giving you warnings through the Holy Spirit or through people, then be careful. Be feeling like, oh, no, no, I, I'm a fasted life. Hashtag. Stay humble. So Peter thought that he was sold out to Jesus until a test came. Many times we think we are sold out to Christ until a test shows up to test our commitment to Jesus. What am I trying to say? Humility and meekness will save you. It will save me to save us. It, it will save our generation. Our generation, we lack that thing, humility and meekness. We lack it. It is what it is. God help us. And God will always bring down the proud. It is pride that makes you think you got it all figured out. And when you don't listen to instructions and warning, a lot of us, we take God's instructions as suggestions. It's a suggestion. We don't, even, we don't listen. We just pass it. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek and humble, for they shall inherit the earth. The people who inherit the earth are people that are humble because they learn. They are constantly in repentance mode. They are constantly like, I don't know what's going on. Some people, everybody, I too know, I too know. You don't know anything. Every day I'm constantly reminded that I know nothing. And I take that posture of humility. I don't know anything. As I'm teaching you today, I don't know anything. I learned everything today. May God help us to remain humble and meek. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for staying for this beautiful teaching. I want us to get through this text. So I don't want to, and the reason why I, I'm taking them chunk by chunk and it's getting deep and deep because I'm also getting deeper and deeper in God. So my understanding is increasing. So the more it increases, the more I, I pour out because I'm a river, it has to come out for, and it has to come out so that my capacity can increase. So I can't hide this. So I am teaching and point as God is calling me, I'm pointing it out to you. And I just trust that God is blessing you, that you are getting what you need, the weapons you're getting, you know, ammunition that you need to live an extraordinary life because yes you will live an extraordinary life it is your destiny it is your dna and there's no way that we are connected that you will not you will not live you will have to live it is your that's the only option that you have to live an extraordinary life to become the fullness of who god has called you to be because that is who god has called god said money i raised you to be 
I've called you in righteousness for the people and for the Gentiles to open the eyes of the blind, to set the captives free, to bring people out from prison. And then the people that, are, that, have, been, that have been let from prison, but are still sitting now in, the, in dungeons of darkness to bring them out. And this is what I'm doing as I teach. And I just trust that the Lord is just helping us and setting all of us free, including myself. So in summary, right? Number one, we must upgrade our software. We must upgrade our software. That's our spirit realm. So that we are operating at the highest, our spirituality, our spirit realm and whatever. We are operating at the highest levels that can match the arsenal that Satan throws in our generation, right? We must be powerful believers so that we can strike the heel of Satan. Remember, Satan can only weaken you. He cannot destroy you. He doesn't have the power. That's why we must discern him quickly and discern his, all his, way, his wiles. Number two, as you obey God step by step, every fear, every anxiety, all these negative thoughts, all these things, limiting mindset, this fury that, that the enemy just uses against us, that are against the knowledge of God concerning your life, right? They begin to fall off. You are set free. And then we, we are, as we walk in obedience, we are restored back to the original versions of ourselves, the version of us that God desires, the version of us that he sees when he, you know, when, when he formed us in our mother's womb. As I said, obedience will not just save you, but it will restore you and it will set you free. You know, as we obey God and his plan for our lives, God is glorified. He's glorified because we're restoring back his original plan and it just makes him so happy. This is what brings the glory. Finally, we God, Jesus commands us to love one another, but it's not just in the commandment. But for us to be able to love, another, to love one another, we have to experience the love of Christ for ourselves because we cannot give what we don't have, right? And this is what sets Christ followers apart. This is what sets extraordinary disciples apart. This is what sets us apart. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we came into this session, as we're praying, there was so much light. I could see the light of God. We've been set. We've all, even myself, I've been set free today by this word. Holy Spirit, we thank you for another time to fellowship with you and to learn from your word. Um, thank you, Lord, for teaching us tonight. Holy Spirit, thank you for teaching, for helping. Just want to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, because you are the living one. You 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 died but you are alive and you are alive forever and ever and you hold the keys of death and grave and these things don't have a hold over us you have won the victory and we walk in that understanding we walk in that knowing thank you god for the authority that you have given us to bruise and strike the head of the serpent to strike the head of fear to strike the head of anxiety of depression of worry of insecurities of self-sabotage and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of god in our lives and I declare that we walk in authority to trample serpents and scorpions, to bruise their heads, and nothing would hurt us because we do so in obedience to your word. Lord, today, by the power of the Holy Spirit I, and the Holy Ghost, I take down every high thing, every fear, every anxiety, every worry, every insecurity, every self-sabotage, every self-pity, every mediocrity, every every limiting mindset every negative mindset that exalts every negative thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of god concerning our lives concerning our finances concerning our health concerning our career concerning our business concerning our relationships my god the holy spirit is here when they right 
when they ate the fruits from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that action that he did exalted itself against the knowledge of God. When Adam and Eve disobeyed in the garden, that action itself, ex- that action exalted itself against the knowledge of God. So Lord, every disobedience perpetuated by the enemy in our mind, in our thoughts, that lead us to act against the knowledge of God, to walk in disobedience. We take everything captive to the obedience of Christ, to the obedience of the word of God. And Holy Spirit, help us to obey so that our obedience can be complete. And when it's complete, that the grip of the enemy can be loosed from us. And he we will no longer have a foothold on us. Wow. Calibra do Shabala. Oh God, we release every foot of the enemy as Lord in as we obey, we, we are released from it because that's the work you are doing today. So pay attention. The Lord is going to speak to you certain instructions, certain things that you need to do to set you free from certain patterns. Please obey because light has come. Like, please obey so that the enemy, that area of your life, you'll be completely set free and you can walk in liberty. Never again will you come back, will he return to you as you steward that freedom properly. And I declare that we put on the full armor of God. And as we do, we are able to stand our ground. I declare that we stand firm on the rock that is Jesus Christ. We put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. We wear on our feet the shoes of the gospel of peace. We take up the shield of faith. We put on the helmet of salvation and we war with the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and I declare that we are ones who pray in the spirit on all occasions when we wake while we sleep when we go about our daily activities we are alert and we pray for one another we are not ignorant of the devices of the enemy because Christ gives us light and I declare that everyone who listening to this who is sleeping and who is spiritually dead arise and shine arise and awake let there be light in your life lord we stand in the gap for our siblings all over the world and we decree awake you who sleep arise from the dead and christ will give you light today is a day of your salvation holy spirit we ask that you endure us with power from on high so we can be fortified so that we can stand strong and firm in our god-given authority and identity Help us to learn to tarry in a place of prayer and worship and in your presence, O God. Lord, glorify us with the glory that we had with you before the world was. Restore us back to original version, to the original version of ourselves that God intended upon creation when he formed us in our mother's womb. Lord, we declare that we will only serve you. We will not be loyal to mammon or any other gods or idol that we make consciously or subconsciously lord help us to keep our focus only on the audience of one who is our lord jesus christ holy spirit mold us into disciples who are quick to listen slow to speak and slow to get angry we ask for the fruit of the spirit of patience of love and of gentleness holy spirit keep us humble and meek keep us humble and meek lord No matter how high we think we've come in our relationship with you or what we've accomplished or achieved in our lives, keep us humble, O Lord. Give us a meek heart. Give us a meek heart, a heart that learns, a a heart that is quick to repent, a heart that is humble. Help us not to think we know it all, lest we fall. Hmm. Oh, I declare and declare that our feet are planted on the solid rock called our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord plants us on the solid rock. We declare that humility will be our watchword, Lord. 
help us, teach us to be humble and give us the grace to be humble. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And I declare that every word that I have spoken in prayer today, every word that has come out as the word of God in teaching will not fall to the ground. It will not delay, but it will accomplish that which it has been sent to do by the power of God and the immutability of his word. I envelope these prayers in the immunity protection that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And I declare that these prayers are signed, they are sealed, they are delivered unto victory in the mighty and powerful and precious and beautiful and glorious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to today's session. I hope you were blessed. I trust you were. Don't forget to invite your friends to the sessions or get them to sign up to receive our daily prayers and to get access to the bi-weekly Bible study session. The link is in the bio. See you next time. Ciao.